showing vulnerability, showing our real need, uh, real needs, and see how we can support each other. I would also propose, um, here's what I can help you with, and here's what kind of help that I would need. I think that would help. <laughs> the links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 130. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Shannon Kennedy, and I'm here, as always, with Benny Lewis. And today we're talking to T.Y., who learned French with us as a part of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. So let's get into it, and let's take a step back prior to when you participated in the challenge and talk about how you got into language learning. Wow. Hmm. I think I've been loving language my whole life. Um, but I didn't really realize it till I went to university uh, when I uh, studied more English and people thought, hey, you could speak some English. That's amazing. Then when I looked back, when I was growing up, uh, my parents were speaking two different dialects with me. And, and in addition, I could speak Mandarin. And that makes my kind of sound catching system differently uh, compared to a lot of other friends of mine who could only speak one dialect or only Mandarin. Um, and then when I uh, started to watch, you know, K-drama, I'm not sure if anyone else out there um, is doing the same thing. I feel something interesting with Korean. People ask, hey, why, why are you learning Korean? I don't know. You know what? I, it's not only because of K-drama. It's not only because of K-pop. It's just that feeling of listening to this language and speaking it um, thrill me, I guess. Yeah. And, and now I enjoy digging into etymology and how French and English words are connected. Those just teeny, tiny little bit of language attracts me. And, and in fact, um, um, probably you know Charlotte. Well, you must have known a lot of Charlotte. Charlotte is my previous colleague. She has done five uh, um, three-month challenges, um, the, uh, I think Mandarin and Latin, um, and we together at our previous school designed um, a unit for kids to design their own language. And that's just one of my best projects ever at that school. So me, about language. <laughs> And how was that uh, with your parents with two different dialects? How did that work uh, practically at home? Um, so uh, basically, my, uh, I lived with my mom and my mom's parents when I was um, young. And then my dad would travel back and forth uh, between his workplace and our home uh, because my dad um, is from another province and then move to the city where we live in, uh, but also have, you know, a full-time job somewhere else. So basically, I spend most of my time before seven years old speaking one dialect, um, but I call or talk to my dad in another, um, and then there's this Mandarin <laughs> with everyone else at school. So tell us a little bit about this program. I think it's really interesting that um, you're creating this excitement around languages for kids. So what does the program that you have where you teach them to create their own languages look like and and how has that been oh okay thanks for your question i feel very related to it um because i feel 
uh, flown in three months to some extent. Um, it's also very related to what I've uh, done with kids. So first of all, it's always very important for kids to explore different materials and different languages so they know what they are dealing with. Uh, languages, creating languages not out of nowhere. Hey, let's just, you know, write a random symbol um, and then create some kind of sound. So we spent quite quite a, a lot of month uh, out of time exploring um, apps like Duolingo and Monolingua as Benny um, ex, uh, uh, recommended. Um, and then we analyzed different parts of languages from, um, say, um, how how the grammar works. Some languages are using subject verbs and objects. Some other languages are totally opposite and how different languages form their own um, word system like Chinese and uh, other alphabet based uh, languages. And then they will create their own story of uh, imaginative world. Um, and then using those information and, and knowledge learned from the uh, grammar class, vocabulary class, and exploration of different learning materials to form an, a product to teach other how to learn their languages. Um, yeah, pretty um, creative, um, but kids enjoy learning. And then they kind of apply what they've learned to their current or uh, English learning afterwards. Um, yeah. Uh, it's definitely a very different approach because when I took German in school, it was extremely artificial. We just had you know, here are the grammar rules. Here's a, a bunch of random words. And in my mind, it wasn't it wasn't a language. It was just an academic subject. I never imagined actual humans speaking it. So what kind of differences have you seen from this approach with children versus, and I know, especially in a lot of Asian countries, that, that there is a tendency for children to have an extremely academic, dry approach to learning languages. So how have you seen the difference arise? Hmm. Wow, that's exactly what it is. I'm in Asia and we grew, we grew up learning English at a very young age. Um, and I actually talked to one of my friends from Sweden. Um, you know, Swedish, they speak very good English, I would say. You don't really need to learn Swedish to be able to communicate them with them. Uh, but in China, we almost start at the same age, but we couldn't really speak it out loud. Um, I feel uh, the project that I've talked about... Um, it's about interest um, and it's less about a language and the result itself. It's not about how much you can speak. It's more of how you understand. It's a, like a metacognitive um, uh, stage uh, where you find yourself uh, intrigued by part of the project. Um, for example, some kids might be fascinated by creating the story of that world they, they were creating. And some of the kids were genuinely interested by German, um, and and all the, everyone can find uh, something that attracts them. And compared to some of the very rigid um, education environment, where everyone studied the same thing, followed the same curriculum, um, I find um, this method more flexible, uh, more ind individualized, and kind of make us closer to who um, we really are. Um, I mean, are, are we all pursuing something and exploring part of who we are? And after all those uh, college entrance exam after university, I guess. 
So let's talk a little bit about your experience and the challenge. You were learning French. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose that language? Yes. Um, Honestly, I've never thought about that. I would ever learn French my whole life. And I didn't like French at all. Um, I feel it sounds arrogant. I'm, yeah, you know, my husband is just there. So, Uh, um, and even though uh, Maxime and I, we've been dating and being together for seven years, um, I've never thought about learning French um, because he's French. Oh, should I learn French? I never thought about it. Um, And it was like all of a sudden, um, I found a lot of connections between French and English that intrigued me. And also I feel probably it's a good time for me to communicate with his family and uh, that I started to think, hey, probably I should give it a try. Uh, so, um, and I also tried different methods before joining the challenge, say, you know, textbook, um, say finding a tutor, but never really you know, uh, stay long until uh, I thought about, hey, you know what, let's give Fluent three months a try and see um, what would happen after three months. And magically, uh, after three months without even planning it, uh, before I registered, um, I actually went to France like one week after uh, the challenge finished. Um, it was fascinating, I would say. So French. <laughs> So in terms of the approach that it's used in the challenge, what parallels do you see with this more innovative approach that you have with the children you work with? Um, I didn't, ex- well, I kind of expected um, the three-month uh, program to have some facilitations and support, but I didn't really uh, expect, oh, it's more of task-based and milestone and all that. That's actually very similar to the kids' approach because you don't really give them a textbook. You give them different tasks throughout the time, like one month and two months. But for the kids' part, it's more of probably two weeks and three weeks. And um, I also enjoy the team, the dream team, uh, where I could um, talk to someone and a group of people um, at similar level. Uh, of my French. I mean, if you ask me to speak with a native, I'm like, uh, not my time. And for the kids as well, they design the language together. So they learn from each other, they benefit from each other's idea, and then they feel comfortable of creating something not by themselves. Um, and um, I would say I totally really enjoy the task uh, one by one. I feel they are so connected and so sequential. So every step that I took, um, is related to the next and all the way till the end. So talking about this program, it sounds like both you and the students have a lot of fun creating these languages. And one of the things that you had said while taking part in your challenge is that your biggest lesson from the challenge was that learning French can be fun. So how is that different than how you felt before? Uh, good question. Um, I feel um, it's less about, you know, uh, being able to speak French fluently at, at last um, during this uh, challenge, I feel. Um, in the past, I've always thought about, hey, probably I should, you know, sign up for um, an A2 or B1 language test. So it's always um, result-driven, and it's always about grammar, the conjugations, if you know the pain, especially for uh, a Chinese speaker. 
<laughs> we don't have that at all in our language. Um, and in this challenge, I feel every day I'm doing something um, differently. And I, uh, and I was also progressing a lot. It's not about I finished this grammar point, that kind of progress. It's more of um, I see myself uh, record um, uh, myself speaking French, um, and I see myself apply what I learn from my daily uh, learning. Um, and I also explore a lot of new ways. Um, probably I'll use them in, uh, in the future, probably not. This process of exploration and being able to have that control um, for myself. Um, I don't know, it's just feel different. Um, it's not like having a teacher ahead asking you to do this and do that and you just follow, then probably one day you will have a full mark, a, a straight A. For me, even if I got a C or F, I just feel happy uh, the way that I explore uh, uh, learning language itself. Yeah, it's very interesting that you you see the benefit of the of like systems like this to be task based rather than result based because part part of the challenge is also the result at the end that people are striving towards that fifteen minute conversation. So, do you think that that uh, like how do you see that integrating with a more task focused approach if we still have an end goal? And do you think end goals are less important than just doing it on the task-based method, like on a day-to-day uh, process so you're continually improving? Like, how do you, um, how do you ma- match this dichotomy of results that you ultimately do want versus what you're doing on a day-to-day basis with the tasks? Mm, I love this question. I feel um, I can answer in two ways. Um, one from this challenge and the other from uh, the previous uh, teaching experience. Um, So for this challenge, yes, at the very beginning, I thought, yes, I'm going to nail down this 15 minutes. I'm going to do this perfectly. And I probably will just reach to a level that I wouldn't even could have imagined before. Um, Then I realized, you know, um, probably was at the end of first month or probably the 10th week, I realized I could already speak up to 15 minutes or um, to some extent, I didn't really care about the final result anymore. Does it make sense? It's like to all of a sudden you could speak that much or all of a sudden you were so different than before or all of a sudden your mindset, your attitude and your confidence um, got shifted. And that final result um, didn't seem to as matter uh, or um, excel um, the excitement um, when you were actually doing it. Um, and the second um, example um, is it was related to my school. Um, so for those unit and for those projects, um, I didn't tell you that we told kids it's okay that you failed. It's okay that you didn't even create or finish your language creating. Um, it's more of the process. And at the end, if you couldn't really finish it, let's reflect and see what happened. Uh, just like what we did, uh, in the, uh, I think, at the end of the first month, uh, we had a reflection uh, to see what worked or what didn't um, and what we enjoyed and how we could iterate. Um, I think that mattered to me most. So 
I, in the future, I would also give myself such an expectation before each challenge. Uh, so I know the 15 minutes is just a number. I could do 60 or less. So speaking of reflections, I'm actually going to have you reflect a bit now. Um, one of the things that I noticed that you really took advantage of in the challenge is the speaking practice channel. You were constantly po uh, posting videos there. So can you talk a little bit about what motivated you to do so many extra videos when for a lot of people it's difficult to just do the main four and what benefits you saw out of doing that? At the very beginning, it was just the opportunity cost. You know, once you've done five, you thought probably I could could do six. And once you had more, you feel, ah, oh, is it too late to give up? <laughs> but probably, let's say, after 10 um, or 12, which was were scattered in probably three weeks, um, I found a new strategy to do this. Um, so it feels like a switch, um, meaning recording those speaking um, practice uh, was like a switch for me say I'm a machine or I'm a, I don't know, a toy um, and recording this is like a switch that makes me see my system works. Um, for example, um, you know, everyone has their learning routine. For me, I would listen to something, then I will learn the grammar and check the vocabs from from it. And even in our one of our mini challenges, uh, we would uh, we would um, write down those chunks of uh, patterns, all that. And for me, speaking practice is like this final switch or battery. Once you insert or turn it on, I see the whole electricity circuit works. So I could speak those vocabs out loud. I could share the story that I read uh, throughout the day. It was like a final wrap up to call it a day. Um, and then it became a habit. Um, like every, every day when you get off work and come home, you turn on the switch and of your home and your light and, and, and you're off that kind of feeling. So the feeling of this works and I'm so glad to find my system um, kind of motivates me to do more. And, you know, probably by the end of the 30 videos uh, out of the 45 that I made, I got another bottleneck. That was the moment I, um, I found a friend um, who was also a student uh, uh, of me. Uh, I said, you know what? Why don't we try this together? You're you're learning Chinese and you also suffer from, you know, saying a lot of Chinglish, the Chinese English. Why don't we do this together? So we um, spent um, the last uh, month of my challenge together doing that. She didn't really do much, but she totally enjoyed it. We recorded a podcast after that. And now we are writing a blog post um, for Fluent Three Months to talk about this uh, practice. I would say it's just at different stage, find a task um, as Fluent Three Months gave us um, and mot motivate us in different ways. It's interesting to kind of collaborate with another person and work one-on-one -on -one and have that uh, accountability. Uh, a lot of people can feel really intimidated, especially if um, like they don't necessarily know that person extremely well. Then uh, like how, how would you get over those um that anxiety that like you're putting yourself in front of this other person and potentially failing in front of them and worrying about them judging you 
how would you push through that if you were to do this again? Or how would you suggest other people try to get over that mental barrier so they could potentially work with another person as a kind of a partner in crime uh, to progress in their project? Yeah. Like learning the same language. Um, hmm. um, that's a great question. I feel a lot of my friends, especially when I shared uh, this challenge with them uh, in social media um, and just talk about some of the methods and and something Shannon and Benny and other um, 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 students, not students, let's say members, uh, shared uh, in Slack. Um, a lot of people actually came to me and asked about how much they wanted to learn English or learn a new language, but they've never really pulled themselves together to face this challenge. Um, I feel um, the connection, uh, the initial connections matters uh, the most for me compared to, hey, uh, should we find a time and speak this language together? Uh, should we practice this grammar point? It's learning languages like seeing a doctor or anything um, else that you you show your vulnerability with someone or you show your need and you can figure this out together. So for this student that um, also a friend I worked with and uh, with some other friends, um, I would say I prefer just to talk to them. Hey, why why are you learning French or why, why are you learning English? And I love the questions. Um, I think it uh, was the day zero uh, that Shannon posted on Slack asking uh, what kind of methods you tried, what worked, uh, what didn't, and what are some materials that you would love to try. Um, I especially enjoyed the question, what didn't work? Um, a lot of people... Um, they just feel frustrated with languages, and me too, with French. Um, is that um, a lot of methods just don't work on us, especially the mainstream one. Um, and the social media also has a lot of, you know, people who could speak thousands of languages, speak it so well, but never really show us how to do this. Um, so showing vulnerability, showing our real need, uh, real needs, um, and see um, how we can support each other. Um, I would also propose, um, here's what I can help you with. Um, and here's what kind of help that I would need. Um, I think that would help. <laughs> so speaking of learning alongside others, uh, you used your husband to help you put together a few of your videos and he was even your interviewee on several occasions. So can you talk a little bit about that experience and learning your husband's native language and roping him into helping you out? Well, I've never thought about it. I thought we would speak English forever together <laughs> till the end. Um, because, you know, it's just not fair to use uh, one of us language as the mutual language. Say, if he speaks in Chinese, oh my God, I don't know, the com conversation would take forever. Uh, so we, we've never thought about using French and, as a mutual language. Uh, and I never thought about... Um, having him as a helper. Um, but I would say it was beautiful and it, and it is beautiful to have him uh, join this journey. Um, it's like, you know, we are two banks of um, the same river and there are so many bridges over this river. 
and having him help me um, have to, uh, record the video and have him uh, having him tell me, hey, how to say this word in French is like building up a new bridge between us. Um, it's um, I feel very touched. Um, it's less about how much he he had he taught me. It's more of I feel very touched to see him um, feel impressed uh, to see I speaking his uh, mother tongue and to see his sparks uh, when we communicate uh, with each other differently. I think it adds up to how we related to each other and it, and it's really beautiful. Um, I don't know, sorry, just <laughs> I feel very emotional when talking about this. And um, he's not a teacher. Um, I feel even more closer, even closer to him. And probably Shen, I've shared shared with you how I also feel closer to my in-laws um, because of this journey. Um, uh, in France, uh, this time, I could probably only understand 30%, not much, but I feel much more confident and comfortable to speak with them. I feel that I have this urge to even use broken grammar, <laughs> to use broken words, uh, to share whatever is in, in my mind. Um, this, um, this has never happened before. In the past, because of the language barrier, I feel myself pushed away from them. Um, probably you know, if, if sitting with a group of people uh, speaking a different language that you couldn't even understand, you feel first outcast. And secondly, you feel scared. What if they just look into your eyes and say something that I couldn't really answer? So in the past, I would just, you know, scare away, feel isolated. Um, but this time, I just don't care. <laughs> you know, I just use whatever Benny told me <laughs> in the first few videos um, and use the imagination of English. I know this will work no matter what. So... Yeah. It's, a, it's very interesting that you were able to, um, to do this with your husband, because in general, whenever people uh, bring up the question of how am I going to learn my partner's language, my advice tends to be to focus the vast majority of your practice with other people. And then like that's going to because it's it's easier to make a new relationship in a different language than to try to change the language you already have with somebody. And like, it's, it's generally, I've found when people try to learn a partner's language, especially if they're relying just on the partner, it can be a huge struggle because it's too easy to switch back to the common language. And it can get frustrating for the one person who uh, is maybe not a teacher and doesn't have that experience. So um, like, what, what are your feelings about this? Would you still, uh, would you say it's more icing on the cake or would you say it's possible to potentially learn a partner's language just with that partner? Or is it better to kind of work with other people? And like you said, with your in-laws, it's like you don't have a choice. So you, you kind of have to just make those mistakes. And I, it's, I've heard this time and again that in-laws are fantastic for helping people to get that necessary practice, whereas the partner themselves can be a little bit more of a struggle. So how do you feel about that? I totally agree with you. Tell you what, so my husband is now texting with my mom in Chinese. So they both feel fascinating that my mom feel, oh my God, I could text someone sometimes with her broken English. And my husband feels, 
oh my god, I need to reply this. So this is a very subtle and tricky relationship, in-laws and husband and, and wife stuff. And for me, I totally agree with uh, what you're saying. Partners can be tough, um, especially for me. If my husband is uh, relying on me to teach him Chinese, I would, you know, go nuts. Not me. I don't have this patience to really seek. How can you not even figure this out? But I know there is a point of time when partner can come to help. Uh, meaning, if I um, continue to do French, um, I would uh, probably use Maxime, my husband, um, as a milestone, as you know, the uh, the video recording and the daily, you know, convenience. Uh, you would say, "Oh, comment dong this in French." Um, this is fast and quick, just use them. Uh, and then the video recording is simple because you don't need to really find an, another person um, within a short period of time who probably doesn't really know um, what you want within a short time. Um, but ideally, learning is um, my own business. Um, I know what my learning style is. I know where, uh, where my stage is. And I know who I can turn to when necessary. Um, Inglos, you're right, Benny. So during the challenge, a lot of times life comes up and, and things happen that could throw us off from our language learning. And you had a major move during your challenge. You moved to Singapore. So how did you maintain your learning and not lose motivation or fall off track during such a big life event? Wow. Yes, good question. I, I almost thought about probably I should, you know, suspend for one week um, because before moving to Singapore, my visa got some, you know, um, so there were a lot of things going on within a short period of time. Um, and then I realized um, I, I um, generally I, I'm someone who can keep to my goal, uh, to my routine if I uh, set up um, the routine for myself. I would always do that. Uh, and I realized um, this normally happens uh, when I know what I'm doing, when I know what I need, when I know the only thing I need to do now is to do it, meaning I don't need to prepare anything in advance. For example, if one week uh, during the week that I moved to Singapore, a lot of packing, a lot of visa dealing, a lot of you know flies, um, but I knew on that week, um, I have those uh, videos to watch, to listen, and um, probably two or three videos to do. I tend to do it. Um, but if you tell me, oh, we don't have this material, then I have to uh, do some research, find something else, I will probably never really start um, doing it. So I, I really hope I could just have a package with me so whenever, even on the flight, I could just pull out something and do it. Um, that definitely helped. Um, and also um, adjust, adjusting the goal uh, in advance would definitely work. I think in the past, I tend to do five uh, speaking practice per week. And for that week, uh, I chose either to shorten my video or uh, eliminate it to probably two or three less. Um, yeah, those two kind of saved my life. <laughs> so one thing that I I find myself is like I talk about language learning a lot and I have the blog of the videos and all that. Um, and that's kind of like giving other people advice. But at the same time, 
I get back into my language projects and I, I have to implement those uh, tips uh, myself. And I find that like sometimes I, I have to like uh, push myself up a hill a little bit to implement my own advice that I even know is good advice, but it's still, it's so much easier to just tell other people, oh yeah, just do this. But um, like there is that struggle that like you have to, you help all these children and you show them the way to learn the language, but then implementing it yourself is slightly different. So how, how do you get through that like personal struggles, even when you know the advice is good advice and the method is a good method? Uh, you have your own internal mental blocks that uh, you have to kind of push through. How, how would you get through those? Wow. Talking about that, I feel I use myself and my students as guinea pigs. Um, now I'm um, teaching online and also learning languages online. I always try to find different tutors uh, for my Korean and French learning. Um, I love to find someone who has new methods and new ideas of teaching, then I would think, oh, this might work for my students. Um, then I apply on them. Then I feel, hey, you know what? I can adjust a little bit. Then I apply that to myself. So I feel it's a constant interactive experience for me um, that I'm always trying. Uh, so I know uh, if this method doesn't work, I can find help and uh, iterate it, um, or edit it uh, to my own use. Um, and for different methods, I would say, in the past, I didn't realize um, some methods just don't work on us um, because I always taught the same way till I realized, uh, especially when I start re pick up my French and uh, Korean, I realized some methods just didn't work on me. And that was the moment when I started to try more. So I feel for the block um, in, inside ourselves, it's more of moving it, twitch it a little bit, uh, iterate it, um, and then share. For example, I would just chat within the Slack group to ask people, how, how are you using this app? And how are you using this speaking practice? Um, yeah, that kind of helped me. So you just mentioned it again, and, and you brought it up earlier in the podcast. So you're not just learning French, but you're also learning Korean. How do you manage learning such vastly different languages? Right. Those two are just so different. <laughs> um, uh, honestly, I paused my friend, uh, sorry, uh, Korean learning um, during the challenge, uh, but I but I was still watching the K-drama, uh, if that kind of helped my <laughs> Korean. Um, I feel um, it's so hard to juggle those two because uh, French is pretty much, you know, another world. Uh, but I find the real, uh, there are, uh, French is so related to English. So that is one world. And then for my Korean, it's very related to Chinese. So this is another world. Um, and when doing them together, I tend to have an entertaining one and a serious one. Uh, for example, during the challenge, I didn't really learn any grammar um, of uh, Korean, but more of uh, listening a lot. Um, so I know I'm still absorbing. I'm not sure but <laughs> because I still read the uh, captions in Chinese, but I kind of feel <laughs> it's going to help. Um, 
And then、um, sometimes when I'm more interested in Korean, I would do series with that. For example,、um, the, uh, how Hanja, a lot of advanced Korean words are so related to Chinese、uh, words. So I build up that relations.、Um, I feel the juggling part is、uh, is built on my expectations of those two languages. For me, it the ultimate goal is not to speak as native speakers, but more of Um, keeping this motivation, keeping this passion, so I tend to、uh, grab the most out of them、uh, to make my own use. So for French, I enjoy speaking it, I enjoy the etymology and the relationship with English, and for Korean, I just simply enjoy different endings of Korean language and how it how it relates to Chinese, and that just boosts my energy to、um, continue learning them. Even now, probably next challenge I will do them both together. <laughs> And speaking of the next challenge, like where do you see your、uh, future going with your language learning? Because, like you said, goals are not necessarily、uh, that intrinsic to how you value your language learning. So you're not necessarily going to be aiming to sit a C two exam or whatever. But like within the world of motivation and like potentially having projects that are task based. How are you going to see your、uh, your French and any other languages evolve over these next years? Wow,、mm, Benny is always talking big. I know, huh? You know, big project and big picture.、Um, I feel at least for my、um, Korean, I'm very interested in、um, sharing,、uh, meaning. Mm, I also want to continue the three-month、uh, challenge, so I can have this tiny goal、um, at the end of each three months.、Um, and for Korean, I enjoy sharing things that I learn from K drama,、uh, which which is very contextualized, meaning you don't really learn those grammars out of the textbook. It's more of you learn the sentence and you hear the sentence, you hear the expression from、um, the TV series, and I enjoy.、Um, Taking those sentences or taking those contexts out and share with other learners.、Um, see, here is the subtle differences between this grammar and that grammar, this word and that word.、Um, in that way, I feel、um, I'm using the language and I live in the language.、Um, so, constantly sharing what I、uh, what I learn is one of my motivations.、Um, and I also、uh, probably uh, would enjoy.、Um, Learning the language via trying different methods and activities.、Uh, for example, the speaking um, practice uh, that totally blow my mind. I can even use that with some of my students. And the next、uh, game that I'm going to use、um, is called Code Names. Probably you've played with a lot of people, and、uh, so I plan to use that for my French learning and Korean learning, and also Chinese、uh, teaching and and English learning、um, possibly, just to. Kind of contextualize language learning、uh, while exploring、uh, those new methods and materials. So, one of the questions we ask every guest who comes on the podcast, given that this is the language hacking podcast, is what is your definition of language hacking? Wow, I didn't see this、um, coming.、Hmm. Okay, so technically, I feel language hacking for me is to see how. Word, how a word in this language is wired. Uh, <laughs> um, yesterday, I was writing、uh, a sharing post about cafeteria, the etymology of cafeteria, because when I was in Spain,、um, I saw a lot of 
area. Well, I've never learned um, Spanish. And, and then I realized, hey, you know what? Those could mean place because area sounds like area in English. Uh, so then I deciphered a lot of um, other signs on the road when I was in Spain. And I wrote it down and as opposed to share with my friends. Then they said, hey, you know what? It's not only in Spanish. It's also in French and it's also in Italian, like pizza, ria, um, and boulangerie. Um, doing that is like hacking into the system of the language. Probably it's pretty obvious to a lot of people and those experts already. But just doing that in my way and I share those knowledge and share those discoveries with my own simple words, whew, it's the hacking for myself. <laughs> I like that look of it. The etymology is in and of itself language hacking. Very good. Well, this has been a fascinating chat. Thank you very much for sharing your story with us. I think it's going to inspire a lot of people. Hopefully. Oh my God, my English is getting rusty. So thanks for bringing me so many interesting questions to share. No, this has been fantastic. So thank you very much. And to everybody listening, I wish you all a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. All right. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our conversation with our guest. And this is something that you can try out in your own language learning and see how it works for you this week. So I'm going to go first. I think the thing that she said that really stood out to me was how she finds patterns in languages. And I, it, it may seem obvious, but like she said, you know, it's sometimes not so obvious. And we tend to think of these things as like grammar rules or you know, vocabulary rules, and we don't think of them as patterns. Whereas if you recognize them as patterns, you start to be able to make more connection and um, draw similarities that make learning these things a lot easier. For example, she had mentioned like boulangerie and that's like the gerie. And in French, that makes sense. It's like fromagerie also. And so like all of these different things that the endings are a cue to like what that word means. And like, you can use that as a pattern to create other words or recognize other words. Um, and so that's an effective tool for quickly picking up more vocabulary, making it easier to learn grammar rules. So that's my takeaway from this conversation. What about you, Benny? So obviously something that's been central to my learning philosophy since the beginning is to have goals, you know, right down to fluent in three months was a goal. And the challenge is inspired by the 15 minute goals uh, to have at the end uh, the conversation with people. And I, I like that, um, that YT was able to integrate into this challenge, even though a very different philosophy, which I know a lot of language learners have, is the more task-based. And she implements this with the kids that uh, they're always thinking about like uh, creating different materials rather than thinking of the language coming out of nowhere, which is just how a lot of us do it academically and getting like that day-to-day -day, uh, activity in the language. But ultimately, like she, she had this way of saying that her goal with her languages is not to speak like a native speaker, which is something we all have in mind. If we start learning a language, this big goal is speak like a native speaker. Her, her goal is to maintain her motivation. And that is so much more practical that like you can have these goals that are kind of in the background, 
But on a day-to-day basis, as long as what you're doing is maintaining your motivation, you're going to continue making progress. And this is why a good mixture of uh, uh, like ambitious goals that you may have a couple of months down the line, combined with the task-based philosophy of what am I actually doing in this language, that is going to be uh, helping you a lot more with your progress than maybe obsessing a bit too much of like, I want to have this end goal. I, I like my end goals more as milestones to kind of help me along my path. But on a day-to-day basis, it's the tasks I'm doing and maintaining my motivation that's truly going to help me progress in the language. So um, I really liked her take on that. And that was my big takeaway. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening. All of the links and resources mentioned in this episode will be available to you as a part of the show notes. And if you enjoy the podcast, you can write us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. We love hearing from you. It lets us know what we need to do more of and what you enjoy most. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Alice Semino, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.